I want to ask you a question, how are you doing, okay? I ask that question, you know, quite often around here, but today I'm just going to ask it again, how are you doing? Take a deep breath, everybody do that with me, okay? Take a deep breath. Hold it for just a second, let it out nice and slow and relax, and let me just ask you, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? We're going through life. Life is good. Some of you are on top of your game. You're feeling like, oh, you've got the bull by the horn, so to speak, and you're in charge, and it feels good. And then some of you are going through life, maybe, and it feels like, man, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. Um, where is God? Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe you're stressed. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you're just like in a place right now where things aren't terrible, but you're like, Pastor Joe, I need a break. You know, I just need a break. You know, you know how we get when we're about this time? We want school to be over. We want summer to be here. We want warm weather. We want to look like we did when we were 18. We want to look, I mean, there's all these things going on, right? We would love to be at the beach instead of in Richmond, Kentucky. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things. It's like, oh, pastor, if I could just tell you. But let's just admit it. Sometimes life gets hard. Sometimes it's stressful. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's like, what is going on? Well, guess what? Today is Palm Sunday. And 2,000 years ago, it was not Palm Sunday. It wasn't Palm Sunday. It was just Sunday. It was the first day of the week. But it just so happened that Jesus came riding into town. And as a result of a number of things, people were throwing palm branches down. And it became Palm Sunday. It did. But the people that were throwing the palm branches down were feeling the same way that we do sometimes when we're tired, sometimes when we're poor, sometimes when we feel forgotten, sometimes when we're set aside. And yet Jesus is still leading the way, just like he was leading the way back there. And so I, I want to talk about the idea of Palm Sunday. Where is Jesus taking you? Have you ever thought about that? Where is Jesus taking you? Because we approach Christianity like this, okay? This is just what I'm aware of as I interact with people, okay? We approach Christianity like, I need a Savior. I'm willing to admit that. I, I maybe struggled with that or didn't, you know. But, but I admit I need a Savior, and so Jesus, come save me, okay? That, that's the way that we kind of approach it. And then we kind of feel like, okay, now I'm just supposed to learn to be good. But we don't approach it with the idea that God is taking me somewhere, See, the, the disciples thought Jesus was going to be a, a revolutionary. He's going to start a revolution. He's going to kick Israel out. He's going to do away with some of the Pharisees, some of the Sadducees. He's going to put some things down, and he's going to take charge, and yay, Jesus, and we're going to follow him. But they didn't realize what he was leading them to was Palm Sunday. They didn't realize what he was leading them to was the religious system angry with them and mad at them and, and you know, wanting to do the same things to them um, that they wanted to do to Jesus. He didn't realize that Jesus was leading them to a cross where he was going to be crucified. They thought that Jesus was leading them to a celebration, and eventually they did not realize what Jesus was trying to do was lead them home to heaven, to the presence of God Almighty, not just the knowledge of God Almighty, that we were supposed to leave this planet and that death was going to end up being just a, a passageway, if you will. And so that's what we're looking at today. And I wonder, where is Jesus taking you? We're, in, we're anticipating Easter next Sunday. And I love Easter. And already there's tricklings of Easter's because the staff knows that I don't care how edgy of a church we're going to be, there's going to be lilies everywhere. It is going to smell like a lily farm when you come in here next week. And if it doesn't, we're going to have an interesting meeting on Monday morning. 
okay? A staff meeting. I kind of just put them all on notice, didn't I? It's like, here it goes, okay? I like lilies, and I think there's a couple of times out of the year that it is okay for us to say, you know what? At Christmas, we can expect Christmas trees and Christmas and celebrations and family. And at Easter, we can, we can understand we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to have lilies um, because we just like lilies, okay? Not because like lilies show up in the Bible at the resurrection, just because we like lilies and it's kind of an Easter tradition. But where is Jesus leading you? Because the truth of the matter is, it feels great to be celebrated on the morning of Palm Sunday. It really feels great Jesus is sitting on um, the colt of a donkey and he's coming in and people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means God saves or save or save me or there's various ways of saying that. But it's just like, yes, yes, yes. And they're saying that. But remember, in about seven more days, six more days, these people are going to be screaming for his life for no good reason. Except that sometimes when we're hurting inside and we're stressed out, what do we do? Sometime when there's no hope and we don't see any way that things can get better, what do we do? We start kicking the people around us, don't we? We start pushing them. We start pushing them away from us. We start creating a situation when the people that we need the most, we push away from us. Because when we're mad and we can't deal with what we're mad about, we just start lashing out at everybody and we make excuses for it. And I believe wholeheartedly that's what was going on. These people felt such hope when they were hearing this stuff. We'll get into the word. But when they were hearing this stuff, but for some reason a whole week goes by, we get through um, almost to the Passover and nothing's changing. And they just, it's like, all right, then let's let's just lash out at somebody we don't care if it's that jesus guy we want somebody to hurt like we do we want somebody to feel our pain and then suddenly we find ourselves all alone in the book of john which is what i'm going to read for i'm going to pick up this thing some of you may or may not recognize it i did read an article this past week where this is becoming vogue um, not that the bible part but the book part it's really becoming vogue everybody wants one now um, everybody's tired of swiping left. Everybody's tired of swiping right. Everybody wants to flip an actual page, okay? And so I do too. Um, I've always liked it that. There's a big one on my desk. I love it. But I want to share with you this story. And you're, I'm going to read the setup to the story as well. You remember Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead? And all of Jerusalem was there. And, and a lot of people saw Lazarus raised from the dead. A lot of mourners, a lot of professional crybabies, a lot of, it's a whole other thing. Um, but it, it was there. And a lot of people saw when that stone was rolled away, that man had been dead for four days, walked out of that grave. They saw it. And now look what's going on. Six days before the Passover. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrives at Bethany, just outside of, of Jerusalem, a couple of miles, mile and a half, where Lazarus lived. So he, he arrives at Lazarus's house. And look what John says. Remember, John's writing to Gentiles, and this is how we know. Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. She's still doing it. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, when Mary, the other sister that wasn't helping her last time we had a visit that made the scripture, okay, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. 
She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his uh, feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And then we have the disciples interacting. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So you will always have the poor with, among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, and I need you to notice this, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. So we know it's not Jesus and 12 disciples, okay? It's Jesus and a large crowd outside the house, okay? Not only because of him, they didn't only come because Jesus was in there, but they came to see Lazarus too. Do you see this? So a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Fast forward a couple of days, months, or whatever it is, and suddenly we have people who are there to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So Jesus, disciples, large crowd, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and now the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. We can't be having a guy raised from the dead telling everybody he was raised from the dead, so it looks like we're going to have to kill him too, okay? Because it's cutting in on our action. That's pretty much what it was. For on account of him, a kind of Lazarus, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going to Jesus and putting their faith in him because he shared his testimony. Because Lazarus shared his testimony... People were coming to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Who have you shared your testimony with recently? Who have you talked to about Jesus saving you from your sin that you've invited to church? Who have you been able to talk to because Jesus has been leading you that now they want to come to? But the story goes on. The next day, now we're five days out, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So now we had a large crowd at Lazarus' house, the disciples there, the Pharisees showed up. Usually if the Pharisees show up, the Sadducees show up as well. But now there's a great crowd that had come for the feast. These are travelers. These are pilgrims. This is a feast that people had to travel for. And they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And so they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, that means raised from the dead, okay, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb, remember I told you that they were there and they saw it, and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they heard that he, was given, he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, now, this whole thing is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone out after him. And so this is what you and I will refer to as um, Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of it all. 
Jesus comes into town. He's six days from the Passover. They're going to celebrate a time when uh, God has spoken to Moses and called Israelites out of Egypt, set them free, and then they traveled through the wilderness. It wasn't supposed to be that big of a trip, ladies and gentlemen. It was not supposed to be that big of a trip, but they forsook God. So 40 days, or 40 days turned into 40 years. For as many years, days as this, God said, I'm going to give you a year of this. So they had 40 years in the wilderness, and nobody who entered the wilderness above the fighting age, 20 years of age and older, nobody entered the promised land except the priests, okay? The scripture says that everybody died there that was 20 years of age and older except for the priests. Even Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. That's a whole other story, but just be mindful, this is on these people's hearts as they are celebrating Jesus and throwing palm branches down. It is one of the biggest, if not the biggest holiday in Israel is going to be Passover. And there is a motif of set my people free. There is a motif of we are in bondage and God came to free us. We were not a people, but now we are a people. And so God is saying, I will give you a land just come and this is God saying come follow me in Moses's day he said it through Moses in Jesus's day he said it through Jesus but the message is still the same come follow me and so we enter Easter excuse me we enter um, Palm Sunday recognizing that Jesus is taking us somewhere he's leading us he wants us to be there you know, on the 14th day, 14th night, 15th day, but on the 14th night of Nisan, on the uh, Hebrew calendar, Jewish calendar, they're supposed to take a little lamb into their house. And the little lamb is supposed to stay in the house for four days, and then it's going to be cut, and then it's going to be drained, and then they're going to celebrate the whole Passover in anticipation, excuse me, remembering everything that God had done for them. And they're going to do that. And so everybody is traveling, and there are crowds. This is one of the bloody um, feasts. This is one of those times, the celebrations, when everybody's supposed to go to, Israel, uh, to Jerusalem, and they are headed to Jerusalem, and they are going to have a wonderful time there um, in that day. But it's crowded, just very much like the census ended up being crowded, although it's not a Jewish celebration. It was a census. And so everybody's trickling into town. There's great crowds of people. I read it to you in the book of John. There's people coming um, for this festival, and they realize Jesus is coming. So it's not just Jesus and his disciples way over there coming. It's big crowds of people coming into Jerusalem. Nobody knows it's Palm Sunday. And Jesus is coming in with his disciples, and there's big crowds following Jesus mixed into the big crowds, and it's there. Passover was instituted about 1,300 years before Jesus' day, 2,000 years since ours. So 3,300 years ago, they had seen, the Jews would have seen back in Moses' day, the epic plagues, the angel of death, the blood splashed on the lintel and the doorposts. They would have eaten the lamb in a big hurry because they were headed out. That lamb's blood, everything God had done thousands of years earlier, he was getting ready to set up, and they were going to realize, hey, I see the metaphor. I see what God is doing. I see the drama of redemption, and it's going on. And when God said it to Moses, hey, let, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, he also basically said to, to Moses, come, follow me. Jesus calls his disciples, he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so they don't understand that Jesus is taking them somewhere. 
He's not just going to teach them. He is not just going to educate them. They are going somewhere. And I'm wondering, do you realize that Jesus is taking you somewhere? Clearly, they thought he was going to set up an earthly kingdom. Clearly, they did not think when he first said, come follow me, that he was going somewhere to die. But Jesus knew that he was there. He knew that's what was going on. And in the course of events, especially toward the end here, when he goes, I've got to go to Jerusalem, and the disciples are like, but, but when you were in Judea last time, they tried to kill you. And I love Thomas. Thomas says this in John chapter 11. Then Thomas, known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, then let us also go to Jerusalem that we might die with him. You know, this is the same Thomas that, you know, is like, hey, unless I see it, unless I believe it, it's, I don't think it's real. But right now, he is all about it. Because Jesus said, I'm going to die. As a matter of fact, Jesus said four times. The disciples didn't think that it was a good career move to go to Jerusalem, but Jesus was going because he understood that was his career. Real quick, let me just share with you. The first time is in Luke chapter 9. And Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the chief priests, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. And in Mark chapter 9, he says, Because he was teaching his disciples, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they'll kill him. And three days later, he will rise. But they didn't understand it. And in Luke chapter 18, as we get closer to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 aside. He said, look, I'm going up to Jerusalem, and everything that was written by the prophets about the Son of Man are going to be fulfilled. He said he'll be delivered to the Gentiles. They'll mock him. They'll insult him. They'll spit on him, and they're going to kill him. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. And finally, right before the end, Jesus had finished saying all of these things in Matthew 26, and he says, as you know, Remember, we're in Passover week. As you know, the Passover is now two days away. He's talking to his disciples. And the Son of Man is going to be handed over and crucified. So what does that tell us about Jesus? History lesson. That Jesus knew why he was here, and he never lost sight of it. Jesus understood that his purpose for coming to this planet was to die. He knew why he was here, and he never lost sight of that. It was always in front of him. People will, will banter Scripture around, and remember, it was Jesus that said, rarely will a good man die for somebody, but then he said, but he is going to die in our place. He is going to take our place. He is going to be our stand-in. He's not going to fight back. He is going to simply post himself up and say, kill me, God. Kill me for their sin. Jesus never, ever, ever lost sight of this. You just heard me read those four scriptures that he knew why he was here. In John 12, later on in this very passage, he says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. Look what he says. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? And Jesus says, no. It was for this crucifixion, for this hour that I came he says, Father, glorify your name. And God says, I've glorified it and will gl glorify it. So Jesus never lost sight of why he came. And Jesus knew why he was here and, never, uh, and he never sought out having people like him. Jesus never forgot why he came. And it wasn't Jesus' goal while he was here to be popular. Isaiah tells us this story, uh, excuse me, tells this about Jesus in, in the book of Isaiah 
He says, uh, he, speaking of Jesus, grew up before him, speaking of God, like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in Jesus' appearance that we should desire Jesus. Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like somebody whom people hide their faces from. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. That's the picture of Jesus. He doesn't look like Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel's a nice-looking man. Okay? The scripture says right here that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Jesus knew why he had come, and knowing why he had come, he did not sell out to try to being popular like so many people do today. We're more worried about what people think of us. Jesus was in tune with what the Father had asked of him, and he did not get deterred to the right or to the left. It's why he could stand there and say, now listen, you brood of vipers, come on now, let's talk. Or why he walked in and tipped the table over and said, my father's house will be a house of prayer. He didn't lose sight. And he didn't compromise because he wanted popularity. With all due respect, if somebody's going to paint a picture of Jesus, it should be a five-foot-five dark skin, dark hair, brown-eyed, ugly little Jewish man. Now, I'm not trying to offend any little Jewish people in here, okay? Not even in tall, giant Jewish people bigger than me, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you want to paint something a little more correct, at least look at the Scripture. He was not good-looking at all that we should be drawn to him. Not at all. He didn't compromise his reason for being here simply for popularity. The other thing that I want to share with you about Jesus is Jesus did, in fact, wish there was another way. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there is any other way, but not, your, uh, not my will be done, but your will be done. God, if there's possibly any other way to do this salvation thing for Joe Wood, could we do it that way instead? Because. And he said, but not my will but yours. Why would he do that? Because of you. Because Jesus loves you. That's why. That, that, that's the only reason that he was beaten that bad and died. In John 14, the scripture says that he went to prepare a place for us. And so we begin to say, do we realize that Jesus is leading us? Do you know where Jesus is leading you? Jesus is leading you to heaven. Can you grab a hold of that? Listen, if we can grab a hold of that, can we just grab a hold of the idea that we're supposed to die? I'm not saying we have to jump up and down and want to die. I'm just saying, can we just stop being afraid of it? If Jesus conquered death and death has no pain and, and there's an, an afterlife, why are we afraid to go there? And I get that, that we haven't seen it yet. I, I get that. But think about it for a minute. Staying on the planet, based upon that, staying on the planet is not the goal. We've got to stop this idea that bad people die and good people stay on the planet longer. I don't want to live to be 105. God bless people that are. All your friends are gone. Your spouse is probably gone. Probably you're losing some of your children already at that stage. And it's like, I don't want to be here that long. I know that heaven is a better place. I have not seen it. I do not know it experientially. But I trust Jesus so much that I recognize that staying here is not the plan. 
Here's the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It's an overgeneralization. But the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They thought that this was all there is, so you might as well live your life, give God glory, and die. Because then it's over. And the Pharisees are like, no, 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 no. There's an afterlife. There's a resurrection. We're going to do... See, that's why the Sadducees are so sad, you see. Because there's no resurrection. See? That's how you remember which one of the two political religious parties are the ones that aren't getting it right. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. There's a resurrection. And Jesus proved it. There's an afterlife. Staying here isn't everything, and dying isn't the worst thing. That everybody dies, and we leave the planet. Even if the trumpet blows, this corrupt flesh has to put on incorrupt flesh. I have to get a new body. That's what the Scripture will say. The corrupt has to put on incorrupt in order to be in the presence of God. And so something has to happen. John 14, Jesus said, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back to take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Do you know the way? Do you know the way to heaven? Do you know the way? The way is Jesus. The way is surrendering your life to Jesus and getting on board with Jesus. The way is understanding when he said, come follow me, he wasn't just going to teach us things to make our lives better. He was taking us someplace and it's going to be off the planet. That someplace is going to be off the planet. He's not taking us, I mean, excuse me, the way into heaven is not through riches. Please, earn your living, make a living, do what you can, better yourself. I'm all for that. But just understand that the way to heaven is not through riches. It's not going to be through your possessions. It's not going to be um, uh, um, eternal life on this particular planet. It's not through your health and staying alive as long as you possibly can. And listen, I want to see my grandkids. I want to see all of the grandkids that Jesus is going to give me. I want to see them all. But I want to go home. I do. And I want to get a hold of that. Because he said he's preparing a place for me. And I hope that means that like, I don't have to do maintenance. I hope it means I don't have to do upkeep. I hope it means I don't have to mow the lawn. But if I have to mow the lawn in heaven, I think he's going to give me a big enough tractor to do it on. It's just going to be fun. But I want to be where he is. I recognize that Jesus is leading me to heaven. I, I recognize that right now, come follow me, surrender my life to Jesus means that Jesus is leading me into the will of the Father. He's not leading in, me into, what's, what's my, your will for my life, Jesus? What's your, somebody said that to me today, and I went off on, probably owe them an apology. God's got me apologizing all over the place this week. I'm kind of tired of it. I just really am. It's like, Lord, seriously, come on. It's more just because my mouth gets ahead of my brain and way past my heart. And I have to apologize. But seriously, somebody said, I wonder what you know, God's will for this. And I thought, here we go again. Listen to me. God has a will. Do you know what God's will is? God has a will. He's, 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 he's kind of written it down. He, God has a will. He's leading us into the will of our Father in heaven. That's, that's what he's leading us into. Okay? 
John 6 says, All those the fathers give me will come, that gives me will come to me, and I, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven to do the will, my fathers, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. But look at what Paul says to Timothy. He says, This is good and pleases God our Savior. So Jesus came to do not his will, not God's will for his life. He came to do God's will. Okay, but then Paul tells Timothy, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. There. You want to know what God's will is? There it is. He wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So there you go. So we need to understand that the question is not, God, what is your will for my life? The question is, God, what is your will? And am I injecting my life into your will? Am I expressing the will of God when I go to work? Am I seeing who needs to be evangelized, share the good news with? Not who can I throw rocks at and tell them they're going to burn and go to hell. Okay, hell is a real place. Jesus did not preach about hell more than he taught about love and grace and heaven. That's not true. Okay, I've done the research on that. It simply isn't true. Okay, so when you go to Walmart, are you spreading the gospel? Um, When you're in a family gathering, your grown adult siblings, are you sharing the gospel? You know, or is it like 10 minutes with my brothers and sisters? I'm, you know, you put a happy picture of great sibling day, you know, it's national sibling day this week. You put your siblings on there and you guys look like, you know, Norman Rockwell. But then when you come together for Thanksgiving, you're like, you know, you're more like WWF. You know what I'm saying? It's like 10 minutes and we're going at it and I can't get out of here fast enough. I understand we're all human beings. We're all human beings. But we're looking at this and we're saying, hey, what is it God is doing and what is this deal right here that he's leading us into, his will? Because we've got this idea that, you know, it's like, is it God's will that I buy that house? It, it, it's God's will that people get saved. Now, let me just ask you a question. Can you afford that house? You say, yeah, I can afford that house. Then buy the house if you want it. Stop making your personal decisions the center of God's whole universe. It's not. God should be the center of our whole universe. And we're doing it backwards, ladies and gentlemen. Man, can I take it just a little too far because that's just the way I uh, do things, okay? So you drink an iced tea now. 20 minutes, you're sitting here bouncing like this, like, oh, is it God's will if I go to the bathroom because I really got to go to the bathroom? Seriously, go to the bathroom. I know, but he said, God's will? Yes, you drank tea 20 minutes ago, and he designed your body that it needs to get out about 20 minutes later. It's not, is it God's will that I buy a car? Is it God's will that I move? Is it God's will that I go to college? Is it God's will that, listen to me, take God's will, people getting saved and becoming disciples wherever you go. And enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. Have a wonderful time. Work as hard as you want to. Go on vacation. Buy things. Just don't let them get in the way of seeing that people come to the salvation knowledge of Jesus. Don't let it get in the way of that, or God may take it away from you. Because he wants you in his will. It needs to be about Jesus. Because the last thing is that Jesus is leading you into change. And we like to think that Jesus is leading other people into change that come into church, because I already changed. In 1977, I changed, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. I got my ticket to heaven. Okay, we're good. Woohoo! But we don't realize that God wants to keep changing us. He wants it to keep going. He wants it to keep happening. 
Because God is leading you and I to restoration. He wants us restored. He wants to restore our relationships. He wants to restore our finances. He wants to to restore our careers. He wants to restore our hope. He wants to restore our ability to believe that what I'm going through, God cares about. He wants to restore that in your life. I'm going to be honest with you, that wasn't the point this morning when I came to church. The actual point was God is leading you into war. This is heaven and hell fighting against each other. It was going to be a good message. But God's been wrecking my life this week. Actually, for about four months now. Because God is leading me to change. How can I expect anybody else in here to change if I don't think I need to change? You know you need to change. Do you understand that? Do you know that holiness is a process that you begin when you surrender to Jesus? Do you know that even if you take the Ten Commandments and read them, it goes something like this? God wants to change our understandings so that God can change our actions, so that God can change our attitudes, so that God can see us enter into compassion. Just read the Ten Commandments and watch the transition. Is there a God? God said there's a God. All right, so let me change my belief system and believe that there's a God. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop looking at your neighbor's wives. Stop, stop. Okay. But all of a sudden it says stop coveting. So it goes from stop murdering, stop lying, stop stealing, stop coveting. See how God does that? So yeah, it starts with our actions, but we're never supposed to stop changing. Because God said, I am holy, be ye therefore holy. We're supposed to continue to grow like God. And God had me change this this morning because he kind of wrecked me this past week. I got to spend the week in Texas with my brother. He just called and he said, hey, why don't you come down here and visit me? And I said, you know what, I do need to just, I just need to get away from Richmond for a little bit. Uh, I feel like I'm always, you know, struggling or fighting or wrestling or whatever it is. And I said, I just need to go out and do some manual work. Um, and so he said, yeah. And he sent me a first class ticket so I can sit in first class and sip cranberry juice. And, you know, wow, those are big seats. Those are nice. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I know. It's like, whatever. I've never sat there before in my life. Uh, but it was great. It's all about who you know. When I get to heaven, it'll be about who I know. I know Jesus. He knows me. Okay. I know Larry Wood. He put me in first class. Woohoo! Okay, but I got away. But I knew there was something God was asking me to do. Because God said, it's always about change, Joe. It's always about restoration. And you're sinning. Look at the scripture from Matthew chapter 5. You know, we're getting ready to celebrate Easter. And it's like, yay, go God. And we want the Holy Spirit to come. And we want God to change our lives. But sometimes God says, I want you to just stay right there until you work this out. God hasn't left us. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. But he said, but you just stay right there. And when you finally will do it my way, then we'll start moving on again. It'll be great. Matthew 5, Jesus said, there, this is Jesus talking. This is God. This is the Son of God. This is Emmanuel with us. This is, whoa, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Palm leaves, palm leaves, palm leaves. This is him. And he's talking to you and me. If you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Just leave it there. First go and be reconciled, then come back and offer your gift. And God's not saying he hates you. He's not saying he's going to leave you, never leave you, never forsake you. 
All he's saying is, hey, I see what's going on down there. I love you so much. Hey, remember that relationship over there? Hey, remember that thing over there? Hey, remember this? Hey, remember that? Listen, won't you just leave that gift right there? That's really nice. Jesus, we love you. Yeah, we love you. That's fine. I hear you, but leave it right there because I need you to go make that right. I, and immediately when the Lord said that to me, I got on an airplane and went to Texas because there's a lady up the street from my house that three years ago just got under my craw. I did not do anything to embarrass you, I don't think, into this lady. She just went off on my dogs. Yeah. Not my dogs and not my kids, okay? Do not. My dog did not leave my property. My dog does not have to have a leash on if she's on my property. My dog woofed at her dog because her dog woofed at my dog. My dog does have a bigger woof. It just stood up and went woof like that. And that's all my dog did. And then trotted to the middle of my drive. Anyway, the long and the short of it is when that lady came out there and blasted me, I responded in kind but maintained to myself. I didn't cuss. I just, I wasn't the prettiest Joe you've ever seen in that moment. But I was right. Yeah, you've been there. I can tell. Those of you laughing, you know. So when the Lord said, Joe, I need you to go up the street, 10 houses, knock on her door and apologize, I was like, for what? I was right, Lord. My dog never hurt anybody. My dog would love her dog, really wanted to play with her dog, doesn't want to eat her dog, doesn't want to eat her. I did ask her to get off my property, not ever step back on it again, um, because I, it's my property. Anyway, and so the Lord said, go take care of that. So consequently, I got an airplane and went to Texas. Yeah. Rationalized it by saying, well, my brother called. That must be a sign from God. <laughs> Not now. But I came home and Saturday I went up and knocked on the door because Jesus is leading me. And he's not going to lead me if I'm not going to go with him. And if he's going to lead me, it means I'm going somewhere. And if I want to go somewhere, I have to do what he says. So I went up and I knocked on the door. I had planned out what I was going to say. Hey, I need to apologize to you. Convicted in my heart that I need to apologize to you for the manner in which I handled our uh, first interaction ever when you were mean, nasty, and ugly to me and said awful things about my dog. Um, then I realized that probably wasn't what Jesus was asking. You know how you do. You rehearse it, you know. So I said a whole bunch of other things, always defending myself, and that's not how you apologize. You don't ever apologize by defending yourself. If you're defending yourself, you're, you're not apologizing. So I knocked on the door, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and nobody appeared to be home, so I went home the whole way going, come on, Lord, you know how much time it took to get that kind of courage to go knock on that door? Seriously. And then I started thinking, well, maybe he doesn't want me. He just wanted, maybe Isaac and Abraham, he just wanted to know if I would. And he said, no, I want you to do it. And pretty soon I saw that man go walking past with that little dog again. It's like, man, then I saw him go again in about 20 minutes because he's doing circles. Bruce knows. And so I said, okay, he's probably home by now. And I went and knocked on the door and I got to apologize. And believe it or not, suddenly it was off of my soul. It was off my soul. And I could feel it walking all the way. It was off my soul. You know what? You're a sinner, and you have done some ugly, nasty things in the name of Jesus. Why are you carrying that around? Oh, you want to blame other people, but it's not. 
I want to blame that lady. I was right. I'm still right. It didn't matter. The manner in which I responded was wrong. It was wrong. And I needed to apologize. And God said, if I'm going to lead you, the last thing I'm leading you into is that restoration. And I heard the Lord saying, man, I see what you're doing. I hear your lifted up hands and songs. But just leave that at the altar until you go and make this right. And I can't tell you how good Palm Sunday feels this year, according to the other two years before. It does. So where is Jesus leading you today? Where is Jesus leading you? Because he's not just saying, come follow me. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's not just saying, come follow me. He's saying, come follow me, but I need you to do this my way. He's not just saying, come follow me, but he's saying, come follow me. Now I need you to be restored. And being restored is a process that you and I do enter into. And it means we may have to do something. Go make it right. Go pay for it. Go give back. Go say you're sorry. Now listen, the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, and as much as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. It was my responsibility to apologize, regardless of what that other person does. It's my responsibility to apologize. It's not my responsibility to get them to accept my apology. Please don't confuse those two. I'm called to apologize with a, a true heart, okay? I'm not called to make them forgive me. That's on them. Who is it that God is speaking to you today? Some of you in here, it's time for you. You're like, man, I hear what you're saying. What is this about? This is about following Jesus. And it begins with surrendering your life and, and understanding that you're a sinner. You were born a sinner. You didn't sin. You were born with sin inside of you. And that separated you from God. And Jesus came down here and died on a cross, fairly similar to that one. And, and, and God let the Romans beat the living daylights. We'll talk about that Friday night. But, but he did it because he loves you. And some of you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Some of you need to surrender your attitude to Jesus. And here it comes. Some of you need to surrender your will or your willingness to Jesus. And that's the hard one because I'm right. God, you don't understand. I'm right. It's not fair. Look, look. That. That is classic not fair. If I can't top that, then my not fair has to be pushed aside. If I cannot beat that not fair, then my not fair has to be pushed over here and doesn't count in the argument anymore. It's never going to be fair. And that has to be okay with us. We're called to go the extra mile. So let's come to our feet. These people are up here to pray. I'd like for Palm Sunday to end before Easter Sunday gets here. But more than anything, I would like for your soul to leave here a little lighter. Whatever that thing is that you know God's talking, I don't know what it is, that God is talking to you about. 
It's time to stop pretending and surrender your life to Jesus. It's time for you to go make something right, but you need some courage. It's time for you to, but could you please pray for me? Maybe you're in here and the only thing you hear is, I am sick and it hurts and I need prayer for this sickness that I'm going through. Can we pray for you about that? These people are here because the scripture says, I would that men everywhere, excuse me, I want people to pray. I want pray for all the saints on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and supplications. That's what we're called to do. And then let God be God. Can we pray for you this morning? Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to come. I just want to invite you, Holy Spirit, that this is a time when you've moved in our hearts. Now physically move our feet, Lord, so that we can leave here without this thing, whatever this thing is, God, without this thing that's weighing us down, Without this thing that you told us, unless we put it down in front of your altar, we are not going to move forward. But God, we want to move with you. So we invite you to come in Jesus' name.